welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. I am so excited to have Leanne Hughes with us on the Center in the City podcast today. Leanne is an international facilitator, a trusted advisor, and a speaker who loves creating unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. She combines her experience in marketing, her passion for group dynamics with her education psychology to help leaders dramatically improve their project's team's performance. Leanne is based in Brisbane, Australia, and she partners with all types of organizations in person and virtual, including organizations in Australia, Canada, Hong Kong, India, Indonesia, Magnolia, Papua New Guinea, Singapore, and so many more. I wanted to have Leanne on the podcast today because her being such an experienced facilitator, wanting to talk about how does she manage staying centered when facilitating, when doing public speaking engagements, when talking in a crowd and navigating the types of fears and self-talk that arises. I also wanted to have Leanne on the podcast because she is just such a bright light. I know Leanne through our mutual friend and mentor and frontor, Jenny Blake. We're both in one of her communities. And I was also on Leanne's First Time Facilitator podcast in 2020 and talking about how to bring mindful moments and meditation into group facilitation work. So I will link that episode as well uh, in the show notes so you can check that out. So settle into this episode and enjoy hearing all the wisdom and insights that she shares. Leanne, welcome to the Center and City podcast. Wade, it's such an honor to be on your show. I just love what you do. I, I totally need some more centering in my life. And so keen to talk more about that today. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you. You're just this bright light of energy and wisdom and insight. And I can't wait for all of the Center of the City listeners to get to know you more. I want to begin with this question of what does being centered mean to you? Centered means to me that I, I just, I feel like I, can breathe pretty much. That's what it means to me. And, and a lot of the time when I feel like I'm off center is when I, I think that I've forgotten to breathe. It's, it's almost like, I don't know if, if you do this way, you're on the computer and you're so busy working that you get to the end of the day and you're like, did I even blink today? And, and you know that you just, maybe you're in the zone, maybe that's a good thing. But I think for me, it's more like, I, I feel, I feel the moment I'm in the moment. 
I'm not thinking about what's about to happen. I'm not ruining over what has just happened. I'm breathing. I, I feel strong in my base. Um, so it's more of a thing for me. It's more of like a physical, a physical thing. I love that analysis of you. First of all, you're connecting to the physicalness in your base of feeling grounded and then coming back to breath. Like, am I breathing? Because you're so right. We can go throughout the whole day and be like, did I just take a moment for myself to feel my breath? Or like, was I even breathing today? Or was I holding my breath today? You know, what did that even feel like? Yeah. And soften in those moments where I am like overthinking and I really have to snap back in and go, hang on, Leanne, just remind yourself to get back and centered and breathe and everything else. Um, Cause I do find I, as listeners will hear this, I talk really quickly. I just, I'm a very fast person. In fact, growing up, my mum always said, Leanne, slow down. And I actually have a post-it note written in front of me that says like, just slow down because, and, and that's what I've got to remind myself often. It's, it's an asset, of course, being in the world that we're in, it is an asset being fast, but at the same time, you can just be doing things and you're not really going back to why am I doing this? And I think that's what centering is so important is it brings you back to purpose. Yeah. And like being intentional, taking that moment to not kind of just get swept into the flow and speed of life, but to like take that moments of pause. Yes. I'm big fans of that. And it's a practice. It is, it is a practice. Leanne, will you share with us a little bit of your kind of origin story of how you became a facilitator and not only just became a facilitator, but became really passionate about the topic of facilitation? Yeah, well, I actually think the origin story was when I was about five or six years old and my parents dropped me off for a birthday party. It was on a Saturday afternoon. It was just a school friend. And I remember getting there and there was nothing organized. It was just this like really loose birthday party. Um, there were no games. It was just like, there was a barbecue. And at the end of it, a few hours later, my parents picked me up and I said, oh my gosh, that was the most boring party I've ever attended. But I think it's based on the back of when I, my dad is an engineer, he's very structured, but also when we planned our birthday parties, it was agenda. We had, we went out and got like all these fun games and we, we just really reimagined what a party could look like. And I think that was what I was brought up with. And so it was what I expected. And then this played out then attending as a participant, attending corporate workshops and training sessions. And some that were just, there was no intentionality going back to that word of intention around the design or the purpose or anything like that. And it really frustrated me. Like that was like that five-year-old getting frustrated at that birthday party was playing out again. And so I thought, surely, uh, surely we can do better. And so that's what got me interested in workshop design and creating great experiences for people. I think it's really driven by the fact that life is short. So why don't we maximize the opportunity in our groups? Um, and I started my podcast first time facilitator after something went completely wrong, but I wasn't feeling centered at all. I was working for a, a global mining company and my boss sent me to Canada to run these workshops for, for leaders. Now I hadn't, I'd never even run these workshops in Australia. And, and this was a series of, I think it was like six days of workshops. I was the only female in the room, 30 male supervisors in each program. So the tension, the, like I was freaking out. So I had to battle jet lag, the nerves of facilitating, uh, even just driving on the other side of the road, like all those little things in the lead up to it. And then during the session, look, I thought it was going well. And then at the end of the first day, there was an activity and one of the participants just refused to do it. 
And it just created this, like you could sense the energy just shift in the room. And I think I did bring it, I think I brought it back on track, but when I got back to Australia, I just started ringing every facilitator I knew. And I was like, what would you have done? Um, and that's what gave birth to the first time facilitator podcast was, was that. And so I've learned a lot. I think in that moment of when that guy decided not to participate, like my world just slowed right down and you're just scrambling, like, what do I do now? I think it's every facilitator's worst nightmare is something like that happening, but look, it wasn't that bad. I, I got over it. I learned from it. Yeah. And it inspired you to start your podcast and now yeah. your own business. So it's kind of like sometimes from those hardest moments comes these really beautiful nuggets of gold or wisdom um, or learning or, you know, insight. Let's like talk a little bit more about like, did you always know you liked being up in the center of the room or did you like being the voice that would speak out in meetings or kind of like, what was your natural tendency to of how you used your voice and communicated? It's a really good question. I don't think, no, I, I never was into being in front of the room and sort of giving speeches but what I was interested in was I was probably the best participant in any workshop. So I'd be super keen to answer questions and get involved, share with other people. Um, I played a lot of team sports. I just love being surrounded um, in groups, but never really in that leadership position, more like just someone that is in there to build the morale of the team, make sure everyone's feeling good. That was the role that I played. Uh, but since, and, and that's the thing I like about facilitation as well, is that early on so this moment in Canada when I was a, a very first time facilitator I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself to because I felt like I had to be the entertainer have all the knowledge like bring bring it all and just be in complete control of that group experience and now the funny thing is, is as you get more experience in facilitation and Michael Bungay Senior talks about this is that you can come up you become a bit more lazy so you stop taking on the ownership of that group experience and you recognize that your role is to help guide the conversation, get the group feeling safe enough to share. And I think that helps with nerves uh, and everything else. But yeah, look, and look, as I've done this, I've through the podcast, through being a facilitator, I'm now feeling a lot more comfortable being in that public speaker type of role. But I still prefer, like when I do speeches, they're still very interactive and I'm still getting the group to ju jump in. So I'm definitely not like the, uh, the, the keynote speaker. You know, it's, I love bringing in and having the conversation. When you facilitate or when one facilitates, as you just said, you know, you're responsible for creating the container of the group, making sure people feel comfortable, getting, um, getting people inspired to participate because as you know, you know, as a facilitator, they get to make the meaning out of what they're experiencing. And I'm curious, like, because you are initiating, because you're setting the tone for that group, like I noticed for me that like, that is where I feel the pressure of like, oh, wow, the first words out of my mouth or how I embody and hold space, even in a virtual workshop is going to make such a difference. And I noticed that that creates some nerves within me. So I'm curious, like what happens with you when you're kind of, you know, those first words that you're saying, or um, the first activity you have with people, like what's going through your mind in those moments? Absolutely. You're so right. It is, you, you embody the experience that you want to create and, and people pick up on that. So it's so crucial. And that's the ironic thing is that you're usually very nervous at the beginning, 
which is the time that you shouldn't be nervous. It's like you need to project calmness, control, people are in the right place. So what I try and do, Wade, is then take that pressure off that first moment and move it a bit earlier. So some examples of how I do that. Uh, prior to a workshop, I'll just create like a quick intro video. So I'll share like, hey, you know, I'm excited about the session. Here's what to expect. So they're getting a sense of who I am in a calm, in my calm natural state where I'm feeling great. I am on video, it's fine. So they're getting that impression beforehand. So they're making that judgment before they jump into the call. The um, other thing I do, and it back to face-to-face. -to -face, so I ran some sessions in Hong Kong. And when I got there, I got there the, the day before, I made sure I got to the venue. I sussed it all out. I set everything up. So the next morning I wasn't in there running around, like testing out projectors because all that stuff, that's, that, that creates stress for us. Like, does the technology work? Oh my God, yes. What does the room even look like? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, every, every facilitator, every speaker will say preparation, but it's all about getting yourself prepared more than, more than anything else. And so how can you get confidence in yourself? For me, it's getting a bit of certainty around the environment. Plus I also get participants. It depends on the, the scope of the workshop. I'll get them to answer a couple of questions beforehand. So we get a sense of uh, like any of the challenges they're facing. And within those first few minutes, I'll replay that back to them. Like, this is what you said. And by doing that, I'm very clearly saying that they're part of this. Like it's not a Leanne show. It's, this is a group show. It's relevant to you because this is what you've said. I'm listening. Um, and plus I also have a few sort of go-to activities as well. Like in person, in the first five minutes, I'll get people up and just sharing and talking to each other. So if I can just get through the first few minutes of doing that, then that's great. Um, and that really lifts the energy. I just want to share as well. Mark Bowden, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Mark Bowden. He was, he's a body language expert. He was on my show, nice, uh, I think, I don't know, episode 90 or something like that. But he said that the worst thing facilitators can do is when people enter the rooms, if they're all sort of rushing around and they look busy, that will project a, a certain type of energy for your participants. And he suggests, of course, setting up early then just sitting down, looking comfortable, welcoming each person, engaging them in conversation. So I've, I've always remembered that uh, mm. because I, I was that person that's like running around trying to appear busy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I've got, if I did that, that would like activate my nervous system even more, you know, to feeling like I'm running around trying to stay busy. I, that is something that I've naturally done for myself is, is always try, you know, I, when they're, when we're in virtual, join the call early, have a nice conversation with whoever's helping me facilitate it, really kind of build that community rapport. So it's not feeling like a scary, empty room I'm talking to. And then in person, yeah, making eye contact, trying to at least like meet two or three people before I go on stage or something are, those are very helpful tools. What do you notice? Cause like public speaking is one of people's biggest fears, you know, more so than dying, which always kind of blows my mind to hear that fact. What are some other strategies that you have practiced to help you stay centered when public speaking in front of hundreds of people? Yeah. Well, I just accept that nerves are going to be part of it. And you, everyone has says this, like, make sure, like, tell yourself you're excited. It's like, I do that, but I still know that there's these butterflies that are swarming. I love that feeling. I love the adrenaline. 
um, for me though, for me so much, it's more about managing, managing my energy and making sure that I'm rested and I feel prepared. So like I said, often we're just trying to convince ourselves that we're worthy. Um, but in terms of that preparation with the public, with any type of speech, I did one a few years ago and it was very, um, it, it had really tough conditions around it. So it was like a Pecha Kucha style speech, 20 slides, 20 seconds. So you had to know everything and like deliver it as verbatim. So in order to do that, a couple of things were I would go for a walk and actually recorded the speech and I'd just go walk and uh, walking. And again, it's all about the physicality for me is that helps me retain things. Plus I'm out there getting some endorphins. So it just feels good. I'm not in my room practicing like in this weird state. I've got my shoulders back. I'm relaxed. I'm in the sunshine. Uh, that feels good. Plus the, the audio really helps to reinforce that. I, I practice, I block my speech. So like act, actors would block uh, their, their stagecraft. I, like back then I'd literally just block it. Okay. When I say this, do this action. So I'd block it. Um, again, speeches are very different to facilitation. I'd, I'd never do this for a workshop, but for a speech, then also just what am I wearing? I'm getting comfortable in that because I don't know if this happened to you. Like you've, you've worn something and, and you get there and you're like, these shoes are not working for me. And then that creates, oh no, like what will happen on stage when I walk up there? Um, Spotify playlists. So I've got some great playlists that like one is called get into state and the other one is just calm down. Cause I, again, I have so much adrenaline. I don't need to pick myself up. I just need to like just soften it a bit. Um, but also just getting in there nice and early, like the example that you gave Wade of, of getting into a room early, I'll get to the, the speech event early, I'll meet people, I'll find a few people I know, connect with them. Um, and yeah, just, and also, I guess the other thing is that it is time on your feet. So the more that you do it, not, it doesn't get easier, but you know that you've got this and you can tell yourself that, but you've created the evidence to tell yourself that. It's really hard to go, you've got this when it's your first couple of times doing a speech. So You've just got to scrape through those first few ones, get that evidence, and then just keep going. You just said so much wisdom that I, I want to highlight. You talked about like energy management. And I think that's really key because as you said, you you kind of your natural state is at this high endorphin, kind of fast, speedy energy which is really enticing and like great for being on stage or great for kind of getting the room engaged and or up and moving. And for me, my natural state is more of this like calm, chill. And so I have to actually like rev myself up and kind of pump my adrenaline up a little or use my adrenaline, I should say, to kind of bring myself up so I can be a little louder because I'm very naturally soft-spoken so that it can kind of hold the space, even though I'm talking about meditation, um, which is most of the time, you know, a more calm and restorative practice, but I'm really passionate about bringing this restorative practice into the, you know, busyness of life. And so it's kind of this juxtaposition that I'm constantly playing with of the adrenaline and the, the calm and how to, to dance with them. The energy management is, is so key. And then even what we're, what we're wearing is so true because I know I have more confidence when I'm doing a public, when I'm doing a keynote, when I'm wearing heels, if I'm wearing flats, I do not feel empowered. 
So it's like heels are always a necessary and they have to be comfortable heels. And then something that is cozy and elegant, you know, something that feels like comfortable and yet sophisticated. So doing virtual stuff from home these days has been funny because I'm not wearing shoes, right? And it's actually been really nice to be barefoot. Um, And I'll actually put a blanket on my lap when I'm giving some keynotes because the blanket feels like kind of like a comfort, cozy blanket that helps me um, stay more grounded, like stay centered instead of letting the adrenaline take over and kind of lose like blackout. Like, where am I? You know, what am I saying? (laughs) There is, there are so many advantages to what we have at home as well. And I love that you say that meant just dancing with the energy. I think there's a misconception um, and going back to the workshop example, I think a lot of people think, oh, a facilitator is going to be engaging. That means I have to be high energy all the time. And it's not the case at all. And I find that it's that contrast of energy that we need to bring. So even in the context, if, if my participants in that first activity I talk about where they're all up and talking, they have high energy then. I can draw back. Like I don't need to be high energy. I can reserve my, my stocks for, for later when they'll need it after lunch perhaps. But I think it's, it's the contrast of our own energy and, and the contrast of the energy in the room, mm-hmm. um, which is important. And the other day, I actually was so tired. I, I'd run like all these virtual sessions. I had one more to go. And it was for this conference and the conference was space themed. And I really was like, okay, I could have a coffee here, but I didn't want to do that. It was in the afternoon. So I thought, what can I do to get myself into state for this? Uh, and so what I did was I actually went to a local store. I bought this rocket helium balloon and I just had it in the background. Awesome. And for me, it just brought me such delight. It was just this fun thing. Just, I don't think the participants even cared about it. But it. It was really just for me, like going, Leanne, get excited. This is great. And it, it honestly worked. And look, the rocket's still around. It's in another room, but it's still flying. It gives me joy. Yeah. Right. So even paying attention in a virtual setting of what can you have in your physical space that is going to help you uh, with energy management, whether it's lift you up, keep you calm, keep you grounded. That's so cool. And so creative. How many things you can just do to help manage your, your energy levels. One of the things I want to circle back to that you said earlier was using the adrenaline as excitement, because I think that is a huge insight to that when we feel like those butterflies in our stomach, which is typically the sensation people connect to, that it, a lot of people connect to it with fear or that Mm -hmm. I'm going to mess up or I'm failure. But tell me a little bit more about what you, what you kind of, how you, how you switch that for yourself, reframe that for yourself. And I completely resonate with that. And it, it hits me every now and then I'll get the fear sensation. I just can't. And the inner dialogue is not good. The inner dialogue is saying things like, why do you do this? Like, why do you keep pushing yourself to these uncomfortable situations? Like, can't you just do and like, just stay in your comfort zone? Like, like, this is the stuff that happens the day of. And I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm, sometimes I feel like I'm about to throw up. It's that nerve wracking. Um, So I'm just letting everyone know that I'm still on that journey. Like you said, it's a whole, it's a process. Uh, But what I do is it, it, then the internal dialogue needs to shift. It's like, Leanne, this is what you wanted. And and journaling is important as well, right? So um, the night before is getting out all those thoughts, writing it down, and also saying to yourself, I've done the work, um, I deserve this. And I even love the thought of, if they've hired you to be there, if someone's chosen you to be there, they've got the confidence in you. And I think that's like the, the best vote 
you know, that, that you're the right person to do that. So it's just this inner, the inner dialogue, it's switching it going, this is what you wanted. This is what you've dreamed of, which is usually the case. And because you, you kind of accumulate these experiences and then suddenly you're on a stage with hundreds of people and you're thinking, this is actually what I wanted. And then, and then, it, and then it happens. And that, that fear and the self-talk and the doubt jump in. So I think it's reframing that and just going, yeah. So I just have go-to phrases and words that I'll use inside, but then the music side of things also just gets me out of my own head. Um, getting, going out for a run um, without any music that morning, but just feeling the thoughts, but then in connecting with that, with that energy and purpose as well. It's yeah, it's just reframing it, which again, like I said, it's, I, I'm still working on that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Movement is huge for me too, to just yeah. kind of get some yayas out or just help, uh, the energy kind of the adrenaline or the, the kind of congestion and, and anticipation of, of what the event's going to, you know, unfold, um, process it is so important for me too. And, you know, it's really interesting too, to think about, I've recently kind of shifted with this, that when I used to facilitate, I would, if I had one hour workshop or something, I would block off my whole day just for that one hour workshop. And what I started to notice, and I am curious to hear your thoughts. What I started to notice is that I would put so much weight then on this one hour and build it up. And then I would get the biggest headache afterwards. And I was like, what is going on? You know, it was an hour. And then I wouldn't really know what to do with myself the rest of the day. And so I've really started to just pay attention to when I schedule my facilitation engagements to space them out a little bit, but that I can still fill my day with the things that I want to fill my day with and to not put these engagements on a pedestal because then the, the, the highs are so high and the lows can be so low then. Yeah. Well, you're right. And, and the afternoon ones are the worst. So on my, on my birthday, I actually accepted an invitation to speak. Um, and I think it was at three o'clock in the afternoon. And so the whole day I'm just like you, wait, I just, I canceled everything. I said to my husband, oh, we can't go out. We can go out for dinner, but not beforehand. Cause I've got this event coming up. <laughs> keynote. But that was a silly strategy. It's like, okay. So I agree with you. I think what we're doing there is it's that whole, the pedestal and, oh, I need to be prepared. I need to do so much for it, but it comes to a stage where it's like, we've got this, we don't need to do any more. And we're just, yeah, sitting there all day, just twiddling our thumbs, waiting for this experience, which um, uh, again, then you're really quite tired leading up to it because it's all you've been thinking about. So I agree with you, but yeah. So what, what can then we do? I think what you said was great. So scheduling in other things, maybe, um, yeah, just putting some things in your calendar that are low friction, but distract you from what's about to happen because time just slows down waiting for that three o'clock to, to happen. Oh my God. Yes. There's one thing I wanted to share on that. You, you said that after your session, you get a, a bit of a headache due to that, that energy and everything else. An early guest on my podcast, he brought it up. He goes, Leanne, it doesn't matter how well you've done in a conference or a speech or a workshop. You just anticipate that there will always be a massive sugarloo um, afterwards, just the buildup of the event. So, and he's just come, he, this guy was, I think he was over the age of 60, been facilitating for 40 years. And he said, it's inevitable, just it's part of, part of the gig. So, I mean, I'm curious if any listeners have managed to mitigate against it, but I find the same thing. It's, I'm disproportionately tired after a one or two hour session. 
Yeah. It makes me think about, I have some actor friends and after they are on Broadway or performing for a few weeks or a few nights, there's always this huge crash after it. And I think it's also just maybe part of the grief cycle because something you have worked on for so long or thought about or just, yeah, just that kind of like energy loop of things kind of completing. So Mm. I I know those are, it's not scientifically proven, but those are kind of my, my gut (laughs) instincts of, um, of what's going on there. I wanted to share a practice that I've been doing. If, if listeners have been following along, know that trust has been a big, big word. It's one of my words of the year. It's a big focus of, of mine and practicing self-trust specifically in 2021. And I think that comes up a lot when facilitating, right, is to practice self-trust of like, yes, you've been doing this, you know your stuff. And for me, not only does it help to have that, as you were talking about earlier, the, this kind of mindset reframe conversation and self-talk, but when I practice the, a trust meditation internally and I can start to feel trust in my body, it helps me ease into holding space for facilitation, not from a performance place, but from this like authentic, let it, to use Jenny Blake's words, you know, let it be easy, let it be fun, um, let it be joyful, kind of just flow, flow from me um, and just kind of let the magic happen in the virtual space. I'm curious, like, what is your relationship to trust or self-trust been on your facilitation journey? Yeah, well, very early on, I didn't really have any trust in myself at all. And that's why I really did over-prepare, you know, even writing up, I think there was a time I mean, like decision tree models where I'm like, if this happens, then do this. Like it was so logical. Yeah, we can't predict. There's infinite possibilities or outcomes with any type of session. Um, So that's where I was. But now because I've done, I've had a lot of that time on my feet, I've been in many different scenarios where so many different things happen is that I have now developed a trust that if anything does happen, the right, um, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. And also putting it into perspective as well, like, uh, you know, that whole thing about we're not heart surgeons. No one, hopefully no one, no one, like there won't be any sort of real emergency. The worst thing to usually happen is that you'll get someone that talks a lot and talks over everyone. You get people that don't engage. That's basically it. If you think worst case scenario, it really isn't that bad. And I've, I really had the worst case scenario very early on in my career. So I, I love that concept of self-trust and I'd love to listen to one of your meditations on that. But I just think about everything in my life, anything that I have accepted and taken on, I've delivered on. So I, um, I can fall back on that as well. But also know that the group is there with me. So it's not, again, stop shouldering all the responsibility. And I think we've got a tendency to do that as facilitators that want to help our group. Um, it's to step back and also, as you said, hold that space to enable whatever the next move is. And, and that next move is the right move. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've also been practicing more of like focusing on the service aspect of the facilitation versus the like egoness of, you know, how was weighed as a facilitator. Um, And that has been also very helpful. Yeah. I always ask myself, like, just before I jump into a call, like, how can I make this the best experience for all of us here? Like, let's just have a great time. And that, 
that type of exactly as you said before just jumping on early engaging in those conversations just greeting people with a big smile like it doesn't take a lot it really doesn't take a lot and the other thing is people love talking about their experiences. It's like the, they, they love it. So we just, and often like you, know, you get paid for a gig and you think, gosh, I really didn't do a lot there, but you did. Like you created that space where people felt comfortable enough to do that and they built those connections. So it's, it's a super valuable skill. Yeah. And just one final note here is, is to remember that people normally remember how you made them feel, not what you said. And so that goes back to what you were sharing around the embodiment piece and what kind of space you're holding as a facilitator. So I, I love um, that, that uh, wisdom right there as well. This has been, yeah, I completely agree. And I, I, I love that quote, but I never even thought about it in the context of the work that we do. So well, Wade, well done. <laughs> I'll connect it to that. Um, Leanne, thank you so much for being here and sharing with us. Where can our listeners find more about you? Yeah, no, Wade, it's been a delight to be on your show. Um, I've got a podcast called First Time Facilitator. So talk through the elements of both getting, building up your skills and facilitation, as well as if you've got a business, how you can uh, create more bookings for that. And then everything else is just over at leannehughes.com. Um, and would love to connect with your listeners on LinkedIn as well. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. It means so much to know that these podcast episodes resonates with you. So please share with friends, leave a review, message me, let me know your takeaways or join Leanne and I on Instagram to continue the conversation. Until next time, stay centered.